This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, October 13th, 2022 edition, and we are well into the fourth quarter, and today was a, a volatile day on the downside and then the upside. We had a very interesting day uh, on the back of CPI data that was higher than expected. And so the market said, oh, we got to sell off. And then it said, no, went the other way. And for the average investor, probably scratching their head a bit. And maybe most of this year, scratching their head on how to navigate these markets, how to shield their assets, how to invest for profit in a time where most assets are in decline. And that frankly is difficult. Almost no professional is up for the year. But it doesn't mean that you can't be better prepared for the good times. You're never in your life, you're never going to experience consistent growth every single year, every single quarter. It's just not a thing. It's hard for people to accept that. But that's the reality of the situation. And that's the first step in becoming a good investor is to understand the landscape, understand what to expect so that you don't feel nervous, uneasy, because you're in a situation that you didn't envision. And so that's my goal here each and every weekday is to try to help you understand the landscape of different asset classes, different investments, different opportunities, understand the risks of those opportunities, etc. So that when the risk does rear its ugly head, you're not shocked by it. You're not emotional about it. You know, for a decade plus with rates at rock bottom, it was always an environment where people were taking risk. They just weren't feeling the risk because you didn't have a lot of downside. That doesn't mean the risk wasn't there. It doesn't mean the risk wasn't taken. And so going into any investment decision, any money decision with your eyes wide open is the first step. So you know what you're getting yourself into. And that's what I'm here to help you with is answering your finance and investment questions. And the phone number is the same as always, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 888.99 chart. And I've got a packed, a packed podcast for you today. I always struggle with that one. Now, my focus point concerns the story behind this question. Is delaying Social Security smart in the midst of a market swoon? 
is the standard advice still reliable? So we're going to look at that. I have some other topics on the docket for me today. Uh, one is tips, something that a lot of people got into. Oh, it's a inflationary environment, buying tips. Well, a lot of them were too late. And now the tips indices are down 13% this year. Why is that? Oh, we're in an inflationary environment. Tips should be down. Uh-uh, because -uh, you're not understanding the landscape. You're not understanding tips and how they work and uh, when you should buy them or not. And then we're going to look at the strong dollar and how that's pressuring U.S. manufacturing in some ways. And then lastly, if we have time, we're going to look at what was the other one I wanted to get to today? There's one other one. Oh, it was about uh, inflation and it's squeezing profit margins. And we're going to look at all of that, hopefully, if time is permitting. Now, I do have some voice bank caller questions as well. One is on Boise Cascade as well as Nike. So I've got this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk. And of course, I'll take your live calls as well at 888-99-CHART. Now let's take a look at the market today. We had the CPI data. The expectation was 8.1%. It came in at 8.2%, just a, a tad over expectations. And the market freaked out in the morning. The market was down big and reversed strongly after the first about hour of the day and closed near the highs of the day, which was bullish in and of itself. And we uh, we closed up 92 points on the S&P. It's about 2.5% or so. And the big question is, will we have follow-through tomorrow? Tomorrow, if we can close above today's highs, that would definitely be a nice, strong indication that the the market was, uh, this is a bearish or bullish overthrow is what we would call it. Um, now, when a stock's going up and everyone's loving it and the sentiment is very bullish and it has some good news and it gaps up and then it falls and closes down on the day, what we call that in the technical world is a gap and crap. They call it gap and crap. Right, gapped up and just, you know, bit the dust throughout the rest of the day. Today is an example. And what, what that's an indication of in that case is that there's all the buyers are in. They're done. Right? Everybody's gonna buy. It's so bullish. And there, there's no more buyers left at those prices. Well, it's kind of what you got the opposite today. You had bad news that everyone was focused on was the inflation data. It came in a tick higher than expected, and it was down early in the day. And what happened throughout the day? Well, the dollar got weak. Uh, you had interest rates come off their, their high levels. And you see you saw equities uh, really recover. So and on high volume uh, today, the highest volume we've seen really since June, when we had the last low. So I think I've been saying this uh, late September, early October, market low is very common from a seasonality perspective. It's very common to get uh, a low around this time. And then you line that up with a sentiment and the fact that the market's going to front run a Fed pivot. And I don't know if you know this, but the IMF is getting together in Washington today. All the central bankers around the world are talking. Bank of Japan, Bank of England, ECB, talking to each other about the stresses that the strong dollar has put on the system. 
You think that's not going to move the needle when it comes to Fed policy? I mean, you've already seen some talk about uh, caution on future interest rate hikes from the likes of Lael Brainerd, as well as, who was the other one? There's another Fed chair. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the other one. But there was another one that was talking about it as well. So you're starting to see a little bit of dovish talk. Uh, and then you have likes of, I believe it was JP Morgan or was it Bank of America talking about job losses uh, in the hundreds of thousands starting early next year. Uh, and so remember, the market is always going to move before you see the headlines. This is why most people lose money is because they wake up, they look on their app, they, they read their newspaper or whatever, they see the headlines and they trade on it. And that's too late. The market's going to front run it. And, and this is the first strong indication that the market is going to front run uh, this Fed pivot. And But we'll see. We'll get it follow through tomorrow. Okay. That was my take on today's action. Now we're heading into a break and I welcome your finance and investment questions right now. No question is too simple or too complex. You set the agenda. So give us a call on InvestTalk at 888-99-CHART. Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor. 888-99-CHART. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Jim in Miami. And I have a question about ESS, Essex Property Trust. I'm looking at the chart and it looked great pre-pandemic. It looked pretty good during the pandemic and now it seems like it's tanking. I'm getting mixed information when I do my own research and I was wondering if you could help me figure out if this is worth picking up at this price point. Thank you very much and I'll listen on the podcast. All right, this is Essex Property Trust. It owns a portfolio of 253 apartment communities, over 62,000 units. And it is developing some new properties, has some high quality properties here on the West Coast, in urban and suburban markets in Southern California, Northern California, and Seattle. So here's the issue is it's located in areas where the real estate market is slowing considerably, especially North Northern California, uh, especially Seattle. 
and definitely here in, in Southern California. So it's geographical reach, uh, I think, is, is struggling uh, as more and more people are going to be moving towards the middle of the country where they can still work from home, where they have lower cost of living, etc. cetera. Uh, now, that's more of a long term thing. Uh, but in general, the real estate market is, is weakening uh, and rental rates are no longer skyrocketing. Uh, they're actually starting to show month over month declines now very minor, but uh, after years, uh, but, you know, two, two, three years now of just continually strong rental price growth that has turned and you are starting to see that uh, remember that the market once again is front running that. Okay. Uh, and so I'm just not a fan of, of this. Um, let me look at its debt level. Not terrible amount of debt to be honest with you based on the the asset value but uh, i'm just not a big fan of it i think it's still relatively expensive 15, 17 times enterprise value to uh, ebitda usually doesn't bottom out till it gets to around 12 or 13 times so i still think there's some uh, downside potential there uh and i'm just gonna pass on it so i'm passing on Essex and it's a long duration asset and you need to be weary of long duration assets like uh, many of the REITs. Okay. Now let's pivot over. Let's go to, let's get two in a row. And this question came in earlier on 888.99 chart. Hi, this is Lily from Big Bear again. Um, calling in regards to the Nike stock NKE. It's at about 87 right now. And just your thoughts. Is it a good time to buy it? It's pretty low for Nike. Any comments or recommendations are appreciated. Thank you. All right, looking at Nike and they had some poor earnings last quarter, down 20% year over year and earnings are expected to drop 21% this year, but then go back up 28% next year, but that's next year. And inventory I believe is up 64% year over year. And that's really the, the, the big issue here is that uh, along with a lot of apparel manufacturers, they are choking on inventory. And Nike's a great company. And this is finally a level. I remember looking at this uh, six months ago or so, uh, some uh, members of my team saying, uh, what about Nike? You know, it's coming down to, you know, 100, 110. I said, technically, around 90 is, is the first major support level. And we've gotten there. We've had a nice bounce so far. And so... To initiate a position here, I'm not really against it. I think Nike is finally a bit cheap. Now, could it get cheaper? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, but but I'm starting to, to like it, to be honest with you. Uh, 75 is the next major, major support. And that's where I'd get excited about it. And now we're at 89 and change today. So you're starting to get in the zone. Uh, always hard to find the perfect bottom, but uh, this is the, the first time in a while where I think Nike is relatively cheap. Thanks for the call. Now it's an Invest Talk Thursday and we are watching the markets gyrate up and down and try to find at least a near-term bottom. And as serious investors, I know you have questions for me in regards to this market, different asset classes, different equities, maybe bonds, maybe mutual funds, maybe ETFs that you're looking to buy, maybe mutual funds within your 401k. Our number never changes and it never closes. Invest stock at 888 chart.
One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Now, my focus point today concerns the story behind this question is delaying Social Security still smart and that's the standard advice for from most financial advisors or planners is to delay filing to at least your full retirement age if not longer and ideally all the way up until the age of 70 so that your benefits can grow eight percent per year and this is guaranteed remember that that's always something you have to consider, not just the nominal amount of, of growth of one particular asset versus another, but also the volatility, the risk involved in getting that particular yield or that particular uh, increase in value. And so 8% guaranteed is nearly impossible to beat with any other investments right now, even with higher interest rates over the past uh, year or so. And then you pass that on to your spouse, potentially, if he or she is not receiving their own uh, own uh, so Social Security payout. Maybe your the spousal benefits are higher, which is, is which is common. And so, you know, there are new challenges, especially in times like these for investor portfolios and even the Social Security program itself. Now, many new retirees think about stocks. Calling uh, portfolio withdrawals, uh, especially if they don't have enough uh, safe assets to draw upon instead. So what I'm saying is that a lot of people think about, oh, well, I don't want to take out my investments. I, I rather take Social Security now so I can keep my investments growing. The issue, once again, with that is, will those investments grow above the 8%? What are the, what are the odds of it growing faster than that 8%. Decent, if it's all equities. Probably fairly low if it has a significant number of bonds that even in today's world, you're in good high yield debt, you can make it 7%. Still less than that 8%. And so... How do you plan out this transition and when to take Social Security? Now, stocks are likely to underperform that 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 eight uh, percent, or likely outperform slightly. Once again, it, there's significant risk, risk there. Now, there can be good reason to bring Social Security filing closer. One could be you have shorter than average life expectancy. Maybe you have health problems. And maybe you just don't have other sources of funds to live off of. Didn't save enough for retirement. So each individual circumstance is a bit different. But in but, but you have to explore all the options so that you can delay if you can't. Now, people sometimes try to invest their way out of the retirement shortfalls, and that often is a bad idea. And times like these are a good example of that. 
So you can do things like maybe pushing out retirement date if you're very close to retirement. You can explore part-time work. I think that's probably the most beneficial all around for health and wealth and, and happiness. Having some type of work, even in those retirement years, can be very fulfilling and really help that plan overall. You could also look at a reverse uh, mortgage. Now they're expensive, so and there's age limits, you have to be 62 or older, but something to think about. And it's just a reminder that proper portfolio positioning for pre-retirees and reti retirees is very important because then you can be more nimble in markets like this. Meaning having some cash on the sidelines and you can start to live off that a little bit more than to pull from your investments. You could do things like dividend reinvestments, not doing that and taking that cash just to try to push yourself to take Social Security a little bit longer. So I still encourage that. Waiting till you're 70 if you can and exhausting as many opportunities, reasonable opportunities to live comfortably, but push that off as long as possible. Now, a lot of people have issues about whether Social Security program will have enough money. And the annual Social Security and Medicare trust report uh, says that Social Security trust fund will be exhausted by 2034. That's in about 12 years. But what most people don't realize is that only about a fourth of the cost of Social Security program comes from that fund. Fourth. The three quarters of it comes from payroll tax that's being paid every single day. So I know that's a worry for some people. I wouldn't worry about that. It's more about the timing and whether or not you can try to maximize that guaranteed Remember, It's guaranteed, which is very important. Now, the next invest talk story behind this question, is there a reasonable strategy for investing cash today in a bear market? So far, 2022 has been a difficult year for both stocks and bonds. And Steve will talk about that a little bit more tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Do you have questions about FDIC security, mortgages, money market funds, losses to your retirement plans? Give us a call today, 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. 
Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. You've got a portfolio to grow and protect, and this is no time to lose focus. So get your finance and investment questions together and call Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. They're ready with their unbiased answers. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Let's go talk to Noel in Napa. How are you doing, Noel? Uh, good afternoon, Justin. Um, yeah, I'm still a holder of uh, BGS. And I've had it uh, quite a while now, and it's down 50%. But in this market, I'm not surprised. And uh, and I was reading up a little bit today that they've, they've been selling some stocks, so that's probably a, a drag on the price. But uh, that's not going to continue, I don't think. And I'm, I, I love the handsome uh, dividend thing, so I'm just going to hang in there with it. But uh, do you consider it a, a value stock? I, that's what I would think of it is and am i correct in that and what are your thoughts well here's my issue with it and i've been thinking about this a lot over the past uh few weeks and the rise in interest rates rise in the 10 year to levels that we haven't seen in years to uh levels that if you look at a longer term chart is a true breakout uh to the upside in rates uh is ravishing long duration assets okay now a long duration mm -hmm. asset would be a 30-year treasury rate treasury bond that's one you see that with tlt and ief and you know the long-term uh treasury etfs going down dramatically this year 
But there are a lot of other types of long duration assets. Uh, the first one I think of is high growth tech stocks that aren't earning any money, where the cash flows that the market is expecting are years and years and years into the future, right? Long duration, okay, as opposed to current duration. Now for dividend paying stocks, those often are very long duration assets as well, meaning they're bond-like. Think of utilities, think of REITs, and before, when treasuries were yielding 2%, a nice 4 4.5% yield on a utility stock was attractive. But now the 10 years yielding 4%, and you can get 4% effectively risk-free, the price of the stocks of the bond-like the bond -like stocks are going to have to go down unless yields are going to go up. And guess what? A lot of utility stocks don't have a lot of growth. Most of them don't. So what has to happen? Either that payout has to go up or the bond price has to go down and has to yield something more like 6 or 7%. And BGS is another one of those examples. And it's actually a double whammy because they're so indebted, they the cost of their debt is going to go up over time as they have to refinance, etc., and they don't really have a strongly growing business. I don't know if they have a plan, right? Their, their typical plan is acquire. And it's been a good plan when rates are low, but is that no longer the case? I think there's a good argument for that. So in a rising interest rate environment, I actually don't like BGS. I would sell it. Now, do I think we could get a Fed pivot, a rally in long duration assets? I think that's certainly possible in the next three to six months, call it. But to me, that's a time to sell. You want to sell long duration assets into that. If you truly believe there's a long-term breakout to the upside in rates, which as of right now, I, I think there is. So you'll be focused on companies that pay small dividends, one, 2%, that aren't nearly as correlated to the interest rates, that have low debt levels. And BGS is not one of those. So I'm, I'm going to sell it, but maybe not today, but on a counter trend rally, I'd be selling into that strength. Let's go to Albert Alberto in San Jose looking at AMD. Yeah, hello, Justin. Um, I've owned AMD in the past. Um, I know it's down quite a bit. There's a couple of headwinds with all of the ban to move material to China. So I was thinking about uh, maybe should I get back into this or is or am I looking at, should I look at something else? I'm not liking the chip space at all right now because of the economic backdrop that we're in and uh, the geopolitical backdrop. What's happening, uh, like, you, like you mentioned, with China, with the CHIPS Act, and reshoring manufacturing here to the U.S. AMD has, what they do is they design chips, and they've done a very good job of, key, of, of catching up to Intel technology, technologically. And Taiwan Semiconductor produces their chips, 
or you know a third-party foundry mainly tsmc but if there are now geopolitical problems with that whole process how are they going to produce their chips same cost in the same way so and then you have this we're going into an overcapacity of chip production i talked about this a year ago about eh, when everyone was talking about a shortage in chips that was the exact time you want to be selling the chip stocks because what were what was the industry doing right then they were scrambling to increase capacity just as there was peak demand in physical goods and since then what have people been doing more the economy's been opening it up and they've been want people wanting to travel and go out to dinner and that means less money to spend on physical goods and so you continue to see companies across the tech the, the, the hardware tech hardware space downgrade their expectations for earnings so not something i would be buying uh in the medium term now dust clears you get a better sense of where the chip space is going then we can talk about it but not now let's go to ryan in laguna hills very close to me looking at ltc uh yeah hi justin uh just want to thank you and steve for everything you guys have done you've really helped me to kind of uh, move my portfolio away from a very tech and growth oriented portfolio to something a little more I think reasonable probably for this uh, day and age. Um, I was interested in LTC, just kind of came across it by chance, and I was curious uh, just your thoughts on if you thought uh, it was a, um, I guess, PE-wise, if it was at a good PE ratio for its industry and just, you know, general thoughts on the uh, on the stock. Thank okay, you. Okay, looking at LTC properties, and this is a REIT that primarily invests in healthcare facilities. And what's interesting here is it operates one segment that works to invest in healthcare facilities through mortgage loans, property lease transactions, and other investments. Okay. And it is located, it's all of its businesses here in the US. And it uses, it's an active capital provider in the senior housing and healthcare real estate industry. So it owns a lot of pieces of these assets. But they don't necessarily actually run them, which is interesting here. Um, there's not a lot of growth to this business. Earnings ex expectation for this year and next year are coming down. Uh, their debt levels are pretty high. You know, I just don't like it. I really don't. Um, this big reversal over the past uh, month or so. Uh, technically, it's kind of ravished it. Uh, it was very overbought. Uh, it's in a continuous down downtrend. I don't know. I, there's something about it that it doesn't look horrible, but definitely nothing stands out about it that makes me say, oh, this is in a sector or an industry or something about the financials that uh, looks particularly attractive to me. It's just kind of ho-hum. So uh, I think you can find better opportunities. So I'm going to pass on LTC. It's very, very particular about the capital you uh, put out. So if you're going to commit capital, you got to be very uh, confident in the business, both near term and long term. And I'm just not seeing that with LTC. Let's go to John in San Jose, looking at Cleveland Cliffs. Love your show. Appreciate it. 
try to listen you, every day. Thank you. So you're looking at Cleveland Cliffs, correct? Correct, CLF. Okay. What are you liking about it? Uh, well, I'm a day trader, and I love it. It goes up and down, up and down like a yo-yo. <laughs> I was just uh, seeing what you thought about it, maybe longer term. Okay, well, it's in the material industry, it's in the steel industry, very volatile, very cyclical, and I, it, it's great for day trading, right? You want that volatility. Uh, now, for as a business, it's, biz, its business itself is also very up and down. They made $0.71 cents in 2017, then $3.63 in 2018, then $1.12 in 2019, 2020 during the pandemic, they only made six cents, then up to 586 in 2021, and this year is supposed to make 388, down 34%, and then down another 41% what, next year. So look how up and down I this like, business is. That's what was why that? I like to call in because I, I don't know how to read all that, and uh, that's why I like to call in because that gives me a lot of information about the stock. Yeah, well, you know, you, what you have to understand is that. You can't really just look at, oh, what, the, what did it earn last year? That's the toughest thing about these type of businesses that are all over the place. Now, I don't love to own businesses like this that are so up and down uh, because usually get shaken out because of volatility and what ha what's happening near term with the business. You know, last quarter revenues were up 26%, but earnings were down 10% year over year. Now, a lot of that had to do with base effects, the fact that Earnings were drastically up in uh, the second quarter of 2021. And so that makes it hard uh, from, from a comp perspective. Um, but if you look at it, uh, it, let's say this. In the steel industry, we've looked at the steel industry. This is, there's two better ones within the industry, much better from consistency and profitability, technology, uh, et cetera. Cleveland Cliffs is usually fairly profitable. Um, but it's the volatility of it puts it third on our list within the industry. So pretty good. But if you did a little research, there's two also large uh, steel companies uh, that are public that I rather own. Let's just say that. Okay. Thanks for the call. Now for everyone out there, the reason I can't say the other two is the SEC. Uh, I'll give you a quick primer on the uh, on the rules around this show because we are uh, a registered investment advisor. We are governed by the SEC. We are uh, we are overseen by the SEC from a regulatory standpoint. You'll notice this: we don't bring up particular companies. We're never going to come and say, "Oh, let's go talk about IBM." Why? Can't do that. That can be construed as a recommendation. But if someone calls like John did, asked about a company, we can give our opinion about that particular company. That's just the SEC rules. So when I say there's two better ones than CLF that on our list, I can't give you what they are, but you can probably go and take a look and look at profitability metrics, compare them to Cleveland Cliffs, and you'll get a good idea. All right. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch on tips, treasury, treasury inflation protected securities. And you would think with inflation pretty high, that tips would be killing it this year. And if you look at the chart, it's not really the case. Tips tracked by the, the Intercontinental Exchange, 
they have lost 13.2% this year, including price changes as well as interest payments. Now compare that to the normal index of treasuries, that was down 13.5%. So slightly better than a broad basket of treasuries, but still not exciting. And a lot of people are probably scratching their heads. Why tips, inflation's high. Well, the problem is, once again, is the market is always pricing these things in. And so a year ago, it was pricing in high inflation going out years. But what the market has started to do all this year is price in lower inflation, 2023, 2024, etc. And I think right now the breaking of even inflation rate is down to, I think it has it here. Was it 2.4% on five-year tips? Okay. And so if you think inflation is going to be above three of above 2.4% for the next five years, then you're going to make money because you're buying it when the tips have priced in only 2.4% inflation for the next five years. Okay. I think that's a pretty good bet at this point, but a year ago, that wasn't the case. It was much higher, what we call break even inflation rate. And then on top of that, remember, these are still bonds. And so the tips is affecting the or the, the inflation indexing that tips have affects the interest payment, as well as the principal you're going to get back at the end. But still, you're going to get that principal back years from now. Five, 10, let's see, what are the, what are the, the lengths of years? Yeah, five, 10 and 30 years. So that's why if you buy a TIPS ETF, for example, you're gonna get a mix of various maturities. So there's still duration risk when you own these TIPS funds. And so that's why I would say you wanna buy the individual bonds. You can hold them in maturity, okay? Whereas if you're buying a bond fund and prices of bonds go down, you have to sell them, you oftentimes are getting out at the wrong time. So that's why tips have not been a great investment this year, despite the headline of Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. Right? This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here. Each and every weekday is help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. We've seen the markets go up, then down, sideways, and around. It's called volatility. And if you're a serious investor, you'll have finance and investment questions for Justin Klein. He's here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. Hi, Duncan from New York. Uh, looking forward to having you guys always answer my annoying questions. But I have a quick question on this stock ticker. BCC, Boise Cascade, engages in the manufacture and distribution of engineered wood products and plywood. So I asked about another uh, stock about like housing. And uh, I know someone left a message before talking about whether or not the wood would not be a good time to invest in. But this stock is like part of the housing industry. So I just want to know if this would 
be a good stock for this time during a uh, downturn in the market. Thank you very much and have a good day. Bye. All right, looking at Boise Cascade. And if you look based on this year's expected earnings of $20.24 and the current price of $61.07, you're going to say, trying three times forward looking earnings, that's very cheap. Problem is, earnings are expected to drop 53% next year to $9.51. And pre pandemic, they're only earning $2 per share. So you're starting to see that reversion to the mean. And frankly, a company and what they do is they produce engineered wood products and plywood. So this goes into uh, L joints, laminated beams, and just all the different pieces of wood that go into building homes and remodeling homes. And clearly, you're, you're, you see a lot of demand right now, uh, but I think it's more backwards looking and it's going to continue to slow as cash out refinances are basically gone. So nobody's really doing that to remodel their home, at least nobody that you know hasn't already started. Uh, and then home builders are certainly going to slow their production. Uh, you already see them unloading homes at 10, 15% discounts than what they're seeing a year ago. Uh, and they've already started to slow their permits. If you look at housing permits, uh, those are, are slowing down. And Housing starts continue to go up because they need to they need to burn through these permits and the land that they bought, et cetera, before you know prices frankly continue lower. Uh, and so I think near term they're going to do okay, uh, but the chart still looks pretty negative. And I think it's going to be more aversion to the mean. And if it starts to go back to two three bucks a share like it was earning pre pandemic, it's likely to go down much much more. So I'm passing on Boise Cascade. Now, lastly, let's touch on how the dollar is impacting U.S. manufacturers. And we know that when the dollar goes up, other currencies go down. And that means it's easy, cheaper for U.S. corporations, U.S. individuals to import goods from abroad. Makes them cheaper. Our dollar goes further. And the inverse is the case where exports of US made goods are more expensive, right? Because they need more of their currency to buy our products. And all this is feeding into industrial profits. RBC Capital Markets forecast that currency related sales will drop 5.1% at 3M, 3.4% at uh, air conditioning company Carry Global, and 2% at GE. And so foreign companies are gaining price advantages over U.S. manufacturers, which is, I don't want to say reversing, but hindering the onshoring of manufacturing post-pandemic. Now, Europe is still having probably more trouble. Why? Because the cost of energy, especially in the industrial space, things uh, producing things like aluminum, which are very energy intense, are just uneconomical at the prices over in Europe. So that's one thing that's, I think, helping our industrial base is, is taking some of that uh, that load. Uh, and encountering that strong dollar uh, and keeping the momentum of onshoring manufacturing to produce things like semiconductors, auto parts, aluminum cans, and other things, uh, that, that still is 
is continuing. And I think that's more of a long-term trend. Uh, whereas we saw a long-term trend starting in really the 90s of offshoring manufacturing. We've just started the beginning, I think, of a long trend of onshore manufacturing, but you're going to have bouts like this where the dollar is strong and that's no longer, uh, you know, that, 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 that struggles to maintain its pace. But if the dollar does get weak, I think it's going to really supercharge our U.S. manufacturing base and that onshoring. So I want to give you a heads up there. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which they can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. And we have passed 46 million mark thanks to you. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial.